Praise the Lord. Amen. So good to see everyone in the house of the Lord this evening. I almost said morning. It's definitely not morning. Amen. Let's all stand. I'm expecting great things of a great big God. Amen. Jesus Christ is here. Amen. All we need is two or three. We definitely meet that qualification. Praise God. God is in our midst and He desires to do great and mighty things. Amen. According to our faith, let it be unto us tonight. Praise God. What do you have need of? Jesus can take care of it. He can do it right now. Just like that. Praise God. Amen. Let's call out on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want His will to be accomplished. Lord Jesus, this is Your service. We are Your people. We dedicate this to You. This time to You. We bind together as one body, Lord Jesus, entering into the presence of Almighty God. We seek Your face. We desire to hear from You. To feel Your touch. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify Your most excellent name. You, Lord Jesus, are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You have all power. You have all authority. It was You that spoke all things into existence. Out of nothing, You created everything. Hallelujah, Jesus. Surely You can sustain. Surely You can repair and fix. Surely You can provide and save and restore and heal and deliver whatever the need is this evening. Surely You can take care of it because nothing is too hard for You. And all things are possible with You. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give You glory and honor for what we are about to receive this evening. Thank You, Jesus, for Your presence in this place. Thank You, Jesus, for Your long-suffering patience toward us. Thank You, Jesus, for what we are about to receive here. We give You glory. We give You honor. In Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. What an awesome God we serve. What a great, big, glorious God we serve this evening. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Just a friendly reminder, for those of you that uh, have forgotten, we have a corn maze uh, this Saturday. Uh, we hope that everybody that wants to be there is there. Amen. It's from 3 to 5. It's in uh, West Salem. Okay. Uh, if you can't make that or, or don't want to do the corn maze, uh, that's okay. I get it. Especially if you're a, a lady because it's guys against girls. I understand. You don't want to lose. That's okay. I get it. <laughs> but if you don't want to do that, uh, at 5 o'clock or thereabouts, uh, everyone's heading over to the Demuth place. Uh, we're going to have a bonfire there. We're going to uh, cook up some goodies. Uh, bring a drink if you want something to drink, some snacks. Bring a chair or stand. Trust me, you want the chair. Standing all the time is not cool. Concrete block. That worked for Jacob. <laughs> uh, maybe not for us. Uh, second thing, uh, we have a couple of visitors with us this evening, and I want to I want to mention them. Uh, Mar Maria, Mariah, and Joshua Graves. Amen. They are with us from Texas. Amen. And you, praise God. That's right, Leo's from Texas. Amen, his family. You got the last day of our warm weather. 
Amen. So you just you just made it. In another week, it's going to be cold and blustery. Amen. I was telling him the last time my wife and I were in Texas, we had a blizzard. But then my, my wife reminded me that that was northern Texas. That only happens up north. That doesn't happen in central Texas. <laughs> we hope anyway. Amen. So God bless you. Thank you for being with us this evening. We pray that you're blessed of the Lord in our service tonight. Amen. Let's all stand one more time. As Sister Rudy comes, let's lift our voices again to the Lord our God and thank Him for what we are about to receive tonight. This is the word of truth that's going forth. Amen. Sister Rudy. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I am so thankful that you have made us repositories of your word, repositories of your truth. I am so thankful for what we are about to receive this evening. And I do mean receive. I pray, Lord, that each heart, each person, each person here uh, who is attent to your voice will hear the word of God and receive it with the intention of doing something with it. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to come and worship you to enter into your gates with thanksgiving in our hearts, to enter into your courts with praise. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. We magnify your name and lift up your name, because there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. We give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. The Lord bless you, and you may be seated. The title of my message today is At the King's Gate. And we're going to be reading out of Esther. Now, I know Esther is a familiar passage to most people, and she is a key player in this story or this history. But there were also other key players the King Ahasuerus, Haman, and Mordecai. So, hopefully, you can glean some things. I've learned some things. Um, so I hope that I can just relay this message to you as it came to me. We're going to begin with Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and it is Bible study, and we may be reading a lot of scriptures because it is Bible study. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus, which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia, over a hundred and seven and twenty providences. That in those days when the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the providence, being before him. And when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. And when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan, the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white and green and blue hangings, fastened with cords of fine linen, purple, to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver and upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. And they gave them drink in vessels of gold 
the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Also Vashti the queen made a feast for the woman in the royal house, which belonged to the king Ahasuerus. So the king decides that he is going to, after his third year in reign, he's going to invite all of his princes and all the governors, and he's going to have this royal feast. And he's not going to make the people drink because he had many different nations under him. He was going to let them decide what they were going to, what was good for them. When I was thinking about this and I was reading it, I just went over again what it looked like in his palace. Where were white and green and blue hangings, fastened with cords of fine linen, purple to silver rings, and pillars of marble. So, Try to imagine how opulent this was in those days. The floor itself being marble and different colors of marble. The tapestry and the different colors of tapestry. And then they were with silver cords and linens. And think of their beds. When they ate, they lounged. Their lounging beds were of silver and of gold. If the sun shone in, can you imagine how glittering that was, especially for that day? I think about that, and I think, well, we have the White House, and they have estate. You know, they have dignitaries come, and they have banquets. But it doesn't compare to that. So when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about Queen Elizabeth and Buckingham Palace. And what it was like when dignitaries came there. The banquet hall that she has. The carpet is all red. The walls are like off-white. And all the trimming is in gold. The chairs have cushions of red velvet. For their meals... can find it. For their meals, they have 1,700 pieces of cult- cutlery for the queen's meals when she has dignitaries come. They have 1,104 glasses. They have 100, they have room for 170 persons to come and sit with them. They will have at least 76 members of the staff waiting on them. Well, that's just the beginning. Think of the formals that the woman wears. Think of the clothes that the queen wears. Not only does she have a beautiful gown on, but then she'll have a sash. She has an insignia medals, and so do the royal family. Think of the royal jewels that she wears and the tiaras that they wear. Think of the chandeliers, the crystal chandeliers hanging down. When I think of that, I think how amazing it must be. I've never been there. I've seen pictures. And to walk into that that room 
and just see all these sights. It's different than what we see every day. So I'm thinking when they, King Ahasuerus had this banquet, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful place to come. So during the course of time, of course, we know, he calls his wife to come. And he wants to pray at her because she's beautiful. And they've, they've had this banquet and everybody's seen his riches. So what else can he show but his beautiful wife? And he calls her in, but she refuses to come because really that was not a good thing. It was not part of their law. She should not have been in there parading herself among all these men. So we know that the wrath of the king, it came down. And he went to his governors and he said, what are we going to do about this? What do you think should be done? Because he was angry that his wife did not obey his word. And they said, and it's hard for us to imagine, but his counselor said, listen, we got to take care of this. You need to banish her from the kingdom. She will never again come into your presence. Because if you don't, other women of the kingdom are going to hear about it. And they might say, well, you know what? Bashti didn't obey the command of her husband. So why should we obey the commands of our husbands? Because in most countries, women were not considered, they were considered property. And they were considered to be obedient no matter what their husband said. So they didn't want that to be the law of the land. So the king, he's mad. He wants to get even. So he's like, yes, let's do that. So he does that. But as time goes on, when the wrath of the king was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. So they said, well, what are we going to do? And his counselors again said, well, we'll just get all the fair virgins of, the, of all the country, all the lands, and we'll bring them in, the most beautiful woman, and you can find a new queen. So, that's what they did. Now we're going to go to Esther 2.5. Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jared, the son of Shimeat, the son of Kish of Benjamin. Kish of Benjamin. Have you ever heard of anybody that was a relative of Kish of Benjamin? Yeah, you have. That's an important that's an important thing in this message. That's something that you need to remember. So Mordecai had no children. We don't know if he was married. We do know that he was carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, carried away the Jewish people. We're going to go to Esther 2, 9 through 11. Well, Mordecai was not married, I should say this. He was not married, and he didn't have any children, but he did have an uncle. And his uncle had a daughter named Esther. And her mother and father passed away. 
So Mordecai did the right thing, and he took her, and he raised her as his own daughter. So in Esther 2, verses 5, or verses 9 through 11, we can read, And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness. So the petition went out that all the virgins should come. And Mordecai said to Esther, I would like you to be one of those virgins, and I would like you to go in and see if the king will choose you for his queen. And she was obedient because he was like her father. So she did. And she went in, and they had oils and a purification process. But Esther found favor. She found favor. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him. And speedily he gave her the things for her purification with such things as belonged to her and her seven maidens, which were meet to be given out given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best palace of the house of the woman. She was Jewish. The Jews were God's chosen people. They are God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people. And we can find favor with God and man. Just as Esther did. It wasn't a fluke. It was God's plan from the beginning. But Mordecai and Esther didn't know that. So she went in. She went in and she found favor. And when she was there during her purification process, every day Mordecai walked before the court of the woman's house. He wanted to know how Esther was doing to see what would become of her. Esther obtained favor in the sight of all those that were waiting on her. Mordecai was concerned about her. He sat at the king's gate. He knew that God had a plan. He just didn't know what the plan was. But he told Esther, one thing you shouldn't do. Don't let anyone know that you are of the Jewish nation. Keep that a secret. Why did he say that? Well, he probably knew that they weren't really favored among all the other people because they only worship one true God. And no matter who was in captivity, what Jewish person was in captivity, it was always a bone of contention. Mordecai did not serve in the palace like Daniel did, like the three Hebrew children did. He didn't serve in the palace like Nehemiah as a cupbearer, but he did. He did sit at the king's gate. He could be found most days at his chosen place. The king's gate, such influence as God allowed him to exercise, was in that place. And when he had been honored by the king, he returned to that ordinary place. Mordecai was there at a place where God had chosen to use him. What does sitting at the king's gate mean? It speaks of intimate fellowship 
There is something about bringing in his presence in the fullness of joy. We can enter into his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. We can enter into his gates with praise. We can sit at the gates of our throne room where the king of glory sits. We can have intimate fellowship with him because there is fullness of joy that can give us strength to overcome every situation and every circumstance. Gates are something in the natural you enter through. The Bible records the city gates were used in various ways. Businesses were finalized at the gates. Arranged marriages were done at the gate. Disputes were settled in the presence of witnesses at the gate. It was an official position that Mordecai had at the gate. You see, he was not called to be a governor at that moment, but he was going to sit at the king's gate. Because that's where all the information flowed in and out of. Proverbs 8.34 says, Blessed is the man that heareth me, waking, waking daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my door. God knows how to position us if we will be willing to sit at his gates, where the king business is being conducted. Our Heavenly Father, Jesus that sits on the throne, has business. There is a spiritual warfare going on. There are spiritual decrees. He is carrying out his business, even though we can't see it, or maybe sometimes don't even understand it. Where priorities are being made, where policies are being made, where directions are being given, where the affairs of God and men are being decreed. Right now, our God is decreeing and making policies and moving in the spirit world. And what we might see is the reaction of our enemy because he doesn't really know what's going on. So all that he can do is react. But our God is proactive. So Mordecai knew that he needed to sit at the gates so that he would know what was going on in the kingdom, so that he could hear the news first. And that's what he did. He daily sat at the gates. So it came the time for the virgins to come before the king and for him to choose a queen. And when Esther came, it was all over. God had planned it that way. And the king fell in love with Esther. And when he fell in love with her, he also again had a feast. And everybody celebrated with him. They were so happy that he had finally found a queen again. And he was happy that he had a queen again. And so daily Mordecai would sit at the gates. And one day when he was sitting at the gates... He heard, of, he heard of a conspiracy against the king. Two of the king's chamberlains that kept the door were wroth, angry, raging, 
they were upset and they sought to lay hands on the king. Now, this was not going to be an easy thing to do because the king was guarded. What had happened, we don't know. And were they wrongfully or was it a rightful thing? Were they, was it righteous indignation or were they just wroth and angry at the king? We don't know. But one thing we know, they decided they were going to take his life. But God had other plans. The king of glory already knew. So Mordecai heard about this. And he sent a message message to Esther, who then brought it to the king. And there was an inquisition. It was made, and both were found guilty and hanged. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Mordecai was not rewarded for this at that moment. Now, Mordecai had to have a right spirit. Because sometimes if you have a wrong spirit... You could have been thinking, here I was at the king's gate, and I saved his life, and I didn't even get so much as a thank you. (laughs) But that was not why Mordecai was at the gate. He knew that God must have had a greater purpose, because Esther, the one he had raised as a daughter, was the queen. So he continually went to the gate and sat there. So we're going to read from Esther After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamedeath, the Agiite. Now it's important to know that he was an Agiite. And he advanced him and set his seat before all the princes that were with him. And the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. So, Haman, an Agiite, what does that mean? Have you ever heard that before? Well, I think that we need to go to Second Samuel. Let's go to our first Samuel. Let's go to chapter 15. And start with verses 1 through 3. Saul also said, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remembered that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, oxen and sheep, camel and ass. And then we're going to go to verse 8. And he took Agai, so Haman was an Agaite, so he was a descendant from Agai the king, of the Amalekites, Amalekites alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. And we're going to read 13 through 23. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou, the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth? 
been this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own eyes, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then dost thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but dost fly upon the spoil, dost evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agai the king, and Amalek, and have utterly destroyed all the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoils, sheep, and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Way back then, God had a plan to annihilate the Amalekites, the king and his, his descendants. But the Lord had already come to Samuel in the night and told Samuel that Saul had not been obedient to him. And Samuel was weeping and crying over Saul. It grieved him so. And in the end, Samuel is the one who had to kill Agai, the king. He is the one that had to chop him into pieces. But there were descendants that came after him. Mordecai was a descendant from Saul. And Haman was a descendant from Agai. There was a war that was going to happen. There was going to be some settling of some accounts that had not been settled already. So Haman was set up as like the second in command. What was in the heart of Haman? Perhaps he heard the stories that, oh, your great-great-great-great-grandfather was the king, and this is what the Jewish people did. This is what Samuel, their prophet, did. Perhaps Mordecai had heard what Saul had not done, had not been obedient in. So we have this conflict but it hasn't come to the surface yet. All the kings and the servants which were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the king commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai, he did not reverence him. He would not prostrate himself. He would not bow. He would not stoop. And he would not worship because he was going to only worship the one true God. So the keepers at the king gate, they watched Mordecai. And you know how it is. How come you're not doing this? 
How come you're not obeying the king's command? How come you're not bowing to Haman? And he explained, I am a Jew. I only serve the one true God. I will not reverence others. I will not bow down to them. And of course, word gets back to Haman, because, you know, you wouldn't expect anything else. So, this doesn't go very well. We're going to read Esther 3, 4 through 7. Let me get back to there. Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth day of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is the lot before Haman, from day to day, from month to month, to the twelfth month, that is the month of Adder. So to cast purr was to cast dice. We would consider it dice today. Um, so what it was was really what were they were doing was divination. Every day, Haman was having this divination done. He wanted to see where he was going in the kingdom. And um, it was considered something like, we would call a lottery. In fact, the word lottery comes from that today. So to cast purr from day to day before Haman, from month to month, every day, he finally got in a position that he wanted to be in, so he was using divination to see what his future was going to be. But Haman, when he would come out and he would see That Mordecai was not, there was one person that was not bowing down to him. It's like that chink in the armor. If you know there's that chink in the armor, that's exactly where your eye is going to go to every single time. Even though you don't want it to, that's where it's going to go. And that's the way it was for Haman. There was one person that would not bow down to him. And it was so displeasing And so he was just so angry and stirring him up so much that he just didn't want to get rid of Mordecai. He wanted to get rid of the whole Jewish nation. So he came up with a plan. And he goes to the king, and he tells the king, this people, these Jewish people, they're no good for your kingdom. We just need to get rid of them. They're not following our rules. Um, And so he, he gets this whole plan all set up in his mind. He goes to the king, and the king is like, okay, here's my ring. Make a decree. Sign, you know, use my ring so that it will have authority. And so Mordecai is at the gate. So he's knowing what's happening in the kingdom. And when Mordecai hears what the decree is, he rents his clothes. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. 
Nobody was allowed to be in the king's gate with sackcloth and ashes, but Mordecai was. Not only that, but he was in the streets wailing. He was letting everybody know. And the Jewish people then in that community began to put on sackcloth and ashes. And they began to mourn and to wail, to repent, to seek the face of God. And, of course, this news comes to Esther. Well, this isn't good news for Esther. First of all, Mordecai shouldn't be there with sackcloth and ashes. And then he's in the streets wailing, and all the other Jewish people are. And it makes her afraid, and she, she sends a messenger to Mordecai with a change of clothes. And he, they come, and Mordecai says, oh, no. You know, you're, Mordecai, you're not supposed to be here with sackcloth and ashes. What are you doing? It's a deprament. What if the king finds out that you're related to Esther and, you know, uh, we don't know, but Esther knows that this is not a good thing because she's sending him a change of clothes. And the messenger says, you go tell Esther this is what's going on. So she hears it, and, and I want her to intervene to the king. Now, Esther knows the rule. She knew that Vashti lost everything that she possessed because she, came, she wouldn't obey the king. And she also knew that if she went to the king's court and he did not give her the scepter, reach it out to her, that she would die. She knew the rules. And she was a rule keeper, not a breaker. So she sends us back and she says, messenger back and says, if I go, you know what? I might be killed. So Mordecai makes it very plain to her. He has kingdom vision. She does not quite have that kingdom vision yet. Maybe this is why you're the queen. If we perish, be assured that you too will perish, even though the king doesn't know that you're from the Jewish nation. You too will perish. And if you choose not to be the instrument that God uses, he will find somebody else to do it. And he will. If we choose not to be the instrument that God can use, he will find somebody else. I choose to be the instrument. I choose to crucify this flesh. It was not easy for her to say that. So what did she say? She had to put down her flesh. She had to crucify her flesh. She said, okay, Mordecai, I will do this. But before I do this, you and this Jewish nation here and me and my maids, we're going to fast for three days. No water, no food. And then I will go before the king. So that's what happens. She does. And so does Mordecai. And then she washes herself. And in between times, God gave her a plan of how she should proceed. You know, it's one thing to go unto the king. But how is she going to make this request to him? How is she going to show him that she, too, is a Jewish She's Jewish, and this decree cannot be changed. So how is, what is her plan? But God gives her a plan. In the meantime, Haman, he's got some plans of his own because he is just sick and tired. He goes home, and he gripes, and he complains, and he goes to his wife and his counselors, and he's like, 
oh, I'm so sick of seeing more Kedai. He won't bow before me. It's like he can't even wait for that decree where the Jewish people in one day were supposed to be slaughtered. They weren't supposed to have weapons. They weren't supposed to be able to gather together. They were to be slaughtered. And he couldn't wait for that to happen. It was such a burr under his skin. So his wife says, well, this is what you need to do. You need to build a gallows and make it 50 feet high so that you can ask the king, you know, I would like to kill Mordecai. This is why I want to do it. I want to hang him from the gallows and let everybody see kind of bring fear. Well, the queen does go before the king. But before this happens, the king, she goes before, she does go before the king and he hands her the scepter and he says, well, Esther, you know, he hadn't seen her for 30 days. And he realized how much in love he was with her. So much so that he said, Esther, what is your request? Whatever it is, even to the half of my kingdom. He had a huge kingdom. I'll give it to you. And Esther said, oh, I just want your presence. Can I just invite you to a banquet? Will you just come? I just want to be in your presence. And bring Haman, you know, the man second in charge. Bring him too. Oh, yeah, they can do that. Oh, Haman, he's like all about it. It was just the king and I. We're going to go to that that banquet. So they go, and they're lounging on the beds, and the king's looking at the queen, and she's looking at him, and Haman, I don't know what he's doing or what he thinks. He's probably thinking, wow, this is something, you know, just me and the king with the queen. I'm really something. And, uh, and the king, finally he says, Esther, what is it you desire? Even for the half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. And she says, oh, I just want to be in your presence. Well, she said, I'm going to have a banquet tomorrow for you and Haman. Would you come? And then I'll tell you what my request is. And he said, oh, yes. Oh, that made Haman's day. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So he goes home until he sees Mordecai. And then, oh, yeah, he's given the let's build that gallows. Well, that night the king doesn't sleep. Perhaps he's thinking, what does my queen want? She's been in my presence. Oh, I missed her so. I, I, he can't imagine what, what's happening. So he asks for the scribes to read the scrolls. And as they're reading it, they come across that situation where Mordecai heard about this treachery and how these two men were going to kill the king and they were hanged. And what was done for Mordecai? What was he? You know, sometimes you don't always see the blessing right away. You don't always see that answer to prayer. You just don't see it. But that doesn't mean the king doesn't know about it. That doesn't mean the king of glory is not aware. He's very aware. So he says, what has been done? And what do you know? Haman's coming early to the court because he's on a mission. He's going to get rid of that Mordecai before he goes to that banquet with the king and the queen because he's an important man. And, and he's got this on, and he's like, I'm going to go early so I can just get this off my chest. And so the king says, who's in my court? And they say, Haman. Oh, bring Haman in. Haman, come on in. And Haman's thinking, good. 
I got his ear. Nobody else is around. I got his attention. And before he can speak, the king says, okay, Mordecai, what should the king do for man that he wants to honor in his kingdom? And now you're going to see Haman's heart and what Haman really desired. He said, well, first of all, I get those royal robes that the king has worn. I put that on the man. And then I'd get the royal crown, and I'd set that on the man's head. Because what? He wanted to be king. He didn't want to be second in command. That's what his heart really was saying. And then he said, I'd get your steed. I'd get your horse. And I'd put that man on the horse. And I'd march through the city streets. And I'd say, this is what the king does for the man that he has pleasure in. And the king says, that's really good, Mordecai. You do that. Or he says, Haman, you, that, that's really good. I like that. So you do that. And you do that for Mordecai. What was it like for the mortal enemy of Haman? That was his mortal enemy. Not only did he have to see this happen to Mordecai, but he was the one that was going to institute it. He had to put the robe on Mordecai. He had to put the crown on Mordecai. He had to help him up on that horse. And he had to march through the city and cry out, this is what the king does for the man he takes pleasure in. Uh, Mordecai saying, uh, hey, man, not quite loud enough. Come on, speak up. There you go. This is what the king does. And then he gets Quieter and quieter. Mordecai is saying, uh, what, Haman? I, I can't quite hear you over all this noise. What, what does the king do? So he does this. He's disgruntled. He runs home. He's saying to his wife and to his consorts, what am I going to do? What? And they're saying, oh, man, if, if this is happening with Mordecai, your enemy, uh, I don't think you have any hope. There's no, uh, I don't think there's any turning back here, Haman. I don't know. So then in haste, the servants go and they get Haman. And they say, come. The queen is waiting. The king is waiting. The banquet's ready. And so they go. And I, I don't even know what's going through Haman's. I don't, I don't know what he's thinking. He's thinking, well, maybe, you know, finally when that decree goes out and all those Jews are killed, well, then Mordecai will get his. I don't know. But he goes to the banquet. And finally the king says, what is it, Esther, that you desire from me? And she reveals to him the plan of killing all these Jewish people. And she reveals to him that she is Jewish. And the king, well, who came up with this plan? And, of course, Haman knows before she even says his name that it was him. And the king is so angry, he has to go to the gardens. He has to just walk away. He has to think about, what am I going to do? And when he does, Haman falls on the lap of Esther because he's going he's gonna to beg for his life. He's thinking his one chance, his one hope is in this queen. What he doesn't know is that Mordecai was like her father. That Mordecai is the one that raised her and took care of her. So the king comes in, and he's, he's so angry. And he thrusts him, and he takes the ring off his finger. He hangs 
Haman on the gallows that was created for Mordecai. And he puts the ring on Mordecai's finger. We have an enemy that does not know the future. He can only react to what God has put in place. But we can sit at the heavenly gates. We can make petitions. We can do our Father's work. We can complete the work that has begun. It is us that God is calling on. It doesn't matter what the Mordecai, what the Hamans of this world are saying or speaking. We can be like Mordecai and know that we are in his presence. He can speak a word to us. We can be the ones now that are in charge, not the enemy. The enemy is under our foot. If we will only seek the king of glory, if we will only believe what he says, Mordecai received the ring. He was the second in command. He didn't, he didn't say, well, oh, king, do you, can I make this decree? Or is this okay? Or I don't know. I know you said this, but I don't quite believe it. No, he had the power and authority. And we have the power and authority. Greater things than these shall ye do. You have his spirit living and dwelling within you. If you will go to the king's gate daily, he will lead and guide your path. Our steps are ordered by him, but we have to listen to his voice. In this last day, in these times, it's not time to back off. It's time to move forward, to push forward, to lean into his kingdom, to lean into prayer, to lean into fasting, to lean into crucifying our flesh and taking up his cross daily and following after him. He is the king of glory. He is the Lord strong and mighty. He is the Lord mighty in battle. It's time to take back our territory. It is time to believe that we can be healed, that there is none greater than the King Jesus, that we have all power and authority and greater things than these are we going to do. I have heard and I have heard, but I'm not looking back. I'm looking to the future. Greater rain, greater harvest, more miracles. We possess it. But if you don't believe it, you won't see it. What you believe, you will speak. What you believe, you will walk in. You will sit at that king's gate and you will say, Lord, whatever you want, I will crucify this flesh. I will put on your armor. I will be your soldier. I will be what you need in the moment. He needs different things in different moments. But everything he needs, we possess. But we've got to believe that we possess it. We've got to hear his voice. You know, we hear the shepherd's voice. But you're not just a sheep. You become a disciple. And then you become a servant. And then you become a friend. And then you become a son. And then you become the brethren. And then you become the bride of Christ. The bride believes what the husband says. The bride loves the husband. She desires to be in his presence. She desires to please him and do what is right. She desires him. We are going to sit at the banqueting table someday. But there are souls out there that need what we have. There are souls out there that can be saved and will be saved. And whatever comes before that, 
whatever waves of evil might come, just know that it's a reaction to what God is doing in heaven and that we are overcomers. We are in the latter rain. Greater things than what the disciples did, we will do. But you have to believe it. You have to sit at the presence of the king. You have to know what his voice is. You have to be able to be sensitive to the spirit of the Lord, to know what thus saith the Lord. So today, as we close, can we just lift up our hands, stand up, lift up our hands, worship the king of glory, believe what he has said, walk as though we believe it, hide his word in our heart. Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you, O God, that you have given us the your word. We can see the beginning from the end. We thank you that we can sit in your gates, but we can also enter into your courts, that we are united with you, O God, that we represent you and your kingdom and what your will and desire on this earth is to be done. We thank you, O God, that you are merciful, loving, and kind, and that we are your representatives, O God, that we will go and do what you have declared for us to go and do. We have the power. We have the authority, O God. We thank you for moving in the midst of thy people, O God. We thank you, O Lord, that we are your bride and we can hear your voice, and we will be sensitive to your leading and your direction, O God. Thank you for everything you've done, O God. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for your spirit. We thank you for your name and for your blood. We thank you for your word, because your word will stand forever. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You can be dismissed, and we'll see you next Sunday, or some people will see you.